Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're joined by Andrew Grant. Andrew is the uh, co-author of Who Killed Creativity. He was on the episode um, talking about all the killers of creativity and getting a good understanding of what that meant within an organization, a structure uh, within business, um, and how that might impact your business and its ability to innovate. Uh, today, we've brought Andrew back just as in look at some of the tools that may foster creativity, um, take you through just a recap on the killers of creativity, but then dig in on what we might be able to do to leverage our our people in our business to generate more creativity and more innovation. Andrew, thanks for joining us and appreciate you coming back today. Uh, just to give people a bit of an, an insight as to who you are, just share a brief 30-second spiel on uh, Andrew Grant and um, the the book. My partner and I, uh, Dr. Jay Grant, have been sort of working in this field for about 25 years, developing creative thinking and design thinking and innovation. And we've written two books, one called Who Killed Creativity and How to Get It Back, which I think attracted these guys to the podcast to want to find out more, which is great because we wanted it to be not only talking about creativity, but actually being creative. And then a second book called The Innovation Race, which goes to look goes on to look at innovation. And my partner, Dr. Jaya Grant, is at the Discipline of Strategy, Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Sydney University Business School. Uh, we've worked with Fortune 500 companies for the last uh, 15, 20 years, and my background's in education. So we like to think we're at the crossroads of education, designing interesting ways of people learning things, um, academic validation, hence my, my partner's PhD, and then obviously 20 years of working with companies to help them really understand it all. Because I think if you miss one of those three things, you might be academically great but can't communicate it or you might be educationally brilliant but have nothing to say or you might be very good with corporate experience but can't actually um, communicate it well. So we like to think by joining those three crosswords we we can offer something uh, of interest. We've also travelled the world for the last 30 years um, looking at what makes innovative cultures and what makes innovative companies to see what they are. And I think today we're going to go on and look at the tools of creative thinking which were the original um, area that we used to teach in until companies came to us and said, um, I'm in banking, I don't want to be creative. And therefore, we realised there was no point teaching people the tools of creative thinking until we could convince them that it, this was valuable for them. Hence why the book was called Who Killed Creativity and How to Get It Back. We thought we really needed to do some sort of diagnostic to stop all those excuses of people coming to workshops saying, this is not for me, this is another department. Uh, I got into my job because not to be creative. Um, and look, a lot of people get creative thinking and, and artistic creativity mixed up. I'm not artistic at all. Um, this is about using uh, creative problem solving to solve difficult problems that are not necessarily linear problems or problems where you don't even know the outset what the problem is. And so that, that's why it's a two-part approach. And I think this podcast is going into two sections. The last podcast, we talked a lot about the things that block creativity or kill creativity because we, we we really drew the conclusion there's no point talking about unleashing your creativity, of which there are many books on, um, unless we can deal with what's going on up here from a neuroscience perspective and what's going on in your organisational culture and in the environment around you because without getting those two things sorted out, you could have all the tools in the world and all the hackathons and Friday nights stay up and let's all be creative and it just won't work because your brain's not in the right place. Thanks for that uh, introduction. There's obviously plenty of context there. Uh, but yes, part one, we did dig a lot into the killers of creativity. I'd love to just do a bit of a recap for anyone that hasn't heard that episode, uh, just to talk a little bit about that and the game that you've actually developed around this. So to give people some context that may want to dive in and just have a bit of a look and diagnose what some of the challenges might be in their business. So just take us through on a bit of a journey of that for a couple of minutes, Grant. Andrew. Well, I'll give you a story of a company I heard of that was, um, you know, outpacing some of the, the tech companies, but, uh, you know, bigger than Apple and Facebook back in its day. And, and a story of, someone, of, of some of the interns going in with these great creative ideas and, and the CEO saying they're really stupid, um, they're dumb ideas. Ironically, 10 years later, they became the very ideas that Apple and Facebook and Google used. I won't go into too any much detail on that because I don't Brilliant. want you to try and guess who the company is, but they were bigger. They were one of the big ones many years ago. But the bottom line is these young interns had these really creative, great ideas. 
And look, they might have sounded a bit ahead of their time and a bit stupid back then. But so it's not so much the CEO saying they weren't relevant for then, but he was quite rude to them and quite bagged them out and said, don't waste my time and stop coming up with these stupid ideas. And I can guarantee you anyone that comes up with an idea like that and then um, gets put down is not going to come back tomorrow with another idea or another idea and probably not going to want to work for that company. So there's definitely a war for talent at the moment for the creative class because they're the ones that add so much value to companies, bringing those creative people in. And we need to look after them and nurture them and give them the right environment for them to be creative. And so what we've realised as we were teaching creative thinking that many corporate environments are not designed for creative thinking, for problem solving. They reward correct results, just like school, uh, rather than creative results. And, and ironically, we probably did start to lose our creativity as we started being marked on correctness rather than creativity. Uh, so the problem is that what we really wanted to find out is what are the things that are blocking people's creativity? But again, nobody's going to go to the boss and say, you've killed my creativity or the finance department, you've killed my creativity. So we wanted to design it in a form of a game, not necessarily a competitive game, but a, but a theme and a metaphor that people can hide behind the theme and they can hide behind the metaphor, which, which gives them a safe place to talk about some of the issues they're facing. As I said, no one would go up to their boss and say, you're a control freak. I'm afraid to talk to you about ideas um, and you're killing my creativity. But what about if you played a CSI type clue, Cluedo game where there's cards and characters and places and, and started to look be behind those fictional characters who killed my creativity with what weapon and where? And what about if you could play that um, pre-COVID during all the face-to-face -face stuff, you could play that in a game board on a table and people could just subtly say, well, I think, I think my creativity was killed by um, control. Uh, maybe every time I go to the boss's office, using the example we had before, and it's, it's, it's um, killed by noxious negativity, the weapon. And, and that, to me, using that metaphor really helps people uh, as a, uh, to explore in a, in, a, in a fun, safe diagnostic tool. Now, that game's gone online. We've now got a Miro board, uh, so it's totally digital, but the same thing can happen. People can buy the Miro board. It's much more accessible to uh, teams at a much cheaper price point. So they can go online and just a, a leader with their team of seven or eight people can immediately start using the Miro board and exploring what are the things that kill creativity with what weapon and where, and then what we'll talk about today is the rescue strategies. How do we get it back? Uh, what sort of tools can we use to rescue creativity? And that really leads into the concept of design thinking or creative problem solving, which has been around for a long time. But as I'm feeling design thinking is getting a bit technical for the average person. It's freaking them out a little bit. It's, it's getting quite processing. And therefore, we want to make design thinking very accessible to people. So we want people to do a diagnostic and understand what are the things that are blocking my creativity? Is it the fear of risk? Is it too much pressure? Is it narrow-mindedness? Um, is it insulation? Is it apathy? Is it, is it pessimism? These are, the, these are the killers that we've come up with when we worked with a psychologist and neuroscientist, uh, what was going on in their brains and in people's environments. And then if, if, we, if it was pressure... That's the thing that's really killing our creativity. We just don't have enough time in the day. There are too many KPIs, too many things that we're measured by to even stop and look up and have a breath to try and connect something together, which requires the ability to get outside that pressure environment. What sort of things are we going to need to do to unleash our imagination and become more creative? So we've got the seven killers. We've got seven locations, just to keep it simple. Um, seven rescue mindsets. And then finally, seven rescue strategies. And the rescue strategies will map into design thinking. But it's designed for someone very quickly to say, hey, I've only got seven minutes. How do I make sure I get, I get the question right, find the real problem, look for solutions and make sure they work, rather than going into a full design thinking strategy. And we've now also created a Miro board based around using those seven strategies. Again, we want to make this accessible where people can just go on, buy it automatically, download it and play it. Speaking of the Miro board, if anyone wanted to have a look at that, where might they find that? It's just if they want to investigate. For look, their probably team. the simplest thing, because you might be listening on your phone, so I'm not going to give you a long website. So the yeah. simplest website is the book is called Who Killed Creativity. Yes. The website is simply called whokilledcreativity.com. 
But if you've got a pen and paper, you could log on to courses.tyrian.com. That's T-I-R-I-A-N. It's the name of our company. And under courses.tyrian.com are lots and lots of courses for Mm -hmm. leaders, teams, individuals, and they're all designed for people to just download them and and work with their team to have a discussion and then learn about it. I think this is um, quite unique, what you're doing, because a lot of people just go to tools. Uh, let's put it like you said. Let's let's put a hackathon on Friday, and then they real they look back and say we've got actually no value from that. Um, they don't do much with it. But to know where you are is probably what you're looking at here. So delivering it in this frame gives you a perspective of where we are right now. What are some of the blockers, the challenges that may hold us back from if we implement a hackathon um, or we implement a design thinking strategy if you have some of those hey, things. How about in the way. a million dollar innovation yeah. lab that yes. renders itself useless when I could yeah. take it up to the top tower of a big finance company in Singapore and you showed me this multi-million dollar incredible top floor building. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and, and, he, and, he, yeah. and it was just phenomenal how beautiful it looked and the beanbag chairs and the canteen. And then he brought me into a corner and said, it's not working. I said, why? Yeah. I said, well, people are still going to their own office and no one's collaborating and there's no trust and there's no sharing of ideas. And I said, yes, because how much money have you spent on your people and how much time have you spent developing the right environment? So you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's not just the hackathon on Friday night. It's mm-hmm. millions of dollars people spend on innovation labs but then mm-hmm. don't, and then expect results without helping people work through the concept of creative thinking. No, yeah, very interesting concept, and um, I think we'll run it for our little team. <laughs> I think it'll be good fun just to, to have an afternoon out doing that and just getting a bit of a grip on what some of the challenges are with people. I think, and I think everyone's perspective could be different too within an organisation because it's really their perspective of the situation in front of them. Um, from a from a psychology perspective, we all have different perspectives on the same thing that's in front of us. So, be interesting to see where it lands. So, yeah, I really like the concept. So. You mentioned um, so all about that and who killed creativity. So if anyone wants to listen a bit more in detail around that, let's jump on part one. Um, but in terms of moving forward, let's talk about some tools to foster creativity. So we have the let's let's preface that we've gone through the game, we've worked with an organisation, we've worked with your organisation potentially uh, to understand what the challenges are within our team and what the blockers might be. Um, now, what are some of the things we can start putting together? We might want to frame this out on one of the examples um, that you've actually framed. So going to the boss and he's more of a negative sort of feedback loop. Uh, what That's probably up understanding from a, a management perspective, understanding that that's what's happening. So that can be change at one person's um, level. What do you do to actually implement that change and then bring in tools uh, to actually help the organization foster their creativity? Well, look, I think we'll segue with a little bit of neuroscience. I don't want to overfreak people out. And I'm not the neuroscientist in the people in the, in the three of us that wrote the book. Um, but it was fun working with him and saying, hey, we've discovered that people think that control is the thing that's blocking their creativity. What's going on in people's brains? And, and he was explaining what's happening, that when you move into that state of fear, which is the, you know, something like a bomb goes off or, or a loud bang or, or back in the old days running from an animal that was going to kill you, um, everything moves to the back of your, uh, sorry, everything moves to the back of your brain, which is the base primitive part of your brain. And all you are in is in an emergency mode and you just want to get out of there. I think it's called the dorsal dive, fight, flight or freeze. Fight, flight, yeah. Um, and yeah. that's, the, that's the gut instinct that we have. Um, and look, I've, I was in Indonesia during two bombings and I can tell you when a bomb goes off, you don't have time to be creative. Um, you don't have time to sit around and say, hey, let's have a brainstorming session. Let's, when a bomb goes off, you run or you freeze or you fight. Um, and and that, that's fine. That, that's, that survival instinct has kept us going for a long time. But that really goes to the that back of the brain, the primitive part of the brain. And, and that's great, except when we're in a workplace and we think that, that, that we're constantly in this state of fear constantly in this state of control, constantly using the back part of the brain, um, never allowing us to get into the prefrontal cortex where the more mature, uh, newer part of the brain allows us to be creative. And so they've done some research and, and to say to get into that front part of the brain, you need to have a, and this was research done with school children on what makes a fantastic teacher. And what, and, and now we've looked at it from a corporate perspective. Uh, and what they need is, is we, I call it the blue zone versus the red zone, but it's the neocortex, the front part of the brain. You need a safe and secure environment. People need to feel um, listened to, respected in, and believed in. And the leaders are, need to be very good at communicating. 
And when that happens, the, the, the people in the group, their confidence grows from a teaching perspective. They want to learn more. So you think about that really good teacher at school when the bell went, you wanted to stay and keep doing it because you loved what you did rather than constantly looking at your watch, waiting for the bell to go. Um, you had greater respect for people in the group. You always went the extra mile and you became truly engaged. Now, I think the research was something like, uh, like 70% of people in the workforce are not engaged, which is just shocking. Um, so let's say only 30% of people are engaged. Uh, that's because 70% are living in this, what I call the red zone, constantly in this state of fight, flight or freeze, whether it be KPIs or pressure or high achieving. You cannot be creative in that back of the brain. So let's go back to the hackathon on Friday night. You can't give people a horrible day and then say on Friday night, here's some Coke and pizza. Let's have a bit of fun and let our hair down and we're going to brainstorm and come up with a great idea. It's just not that simple. We need to get people into the prefrontal cortex, the blue part of their brain, the blue zone of their brain, and we need to create a safe environment for them to do that. Once they do that, then all the books and tools and, and design thinking and brainstorming and ideation and everything, then that becomes much, much easier to do. And so that's, that, that, that's probably the first thing that I think is really important. And then, as I said, for 20 years, we'd, we'd been designing our own sort of path to take a difficult problem and solve it. Look, I know more recently design thinking has become the buzzword, but, but the concept of creative problem solving has been around since the 1960s in some form or another. But it really is taking, through people, taking people through a, a series of about four phases to take what's called a wicked problem and a wicked problem is defined as a problem where you don't really know at the beginning what the problem is. It's not a linear problem like an engineer. It's not a mathematical problem. It's an unknown problem and it's morphing. Um, and so therefore, it's not going to require a linear approach. You need to look at it from a, mm -hmm. uh, a end user perspective. First of all, what does the end user want from it? And then you're really not sure where it's going to go, where it's going to end up and how it's going to end up. But that freaks out a lot of left-brain people because they love that linear, you know, one plus one equals two. But On that once one we, there. As I said, once we've removed the killers, yeah. brought people into the, 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 the prefrontal cortex, made them feel safe and, and ready to go, then we find we introduce these, these phases of design thinking or creative problem solving. We've had companies say within three or four hours, you've solved a problem that took us three or four years. Um, because Brilliant. now we just go bang, 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 bang. There's no politics. There's no lack of trust. There's no people thinking, what's my boss going to say if I come up with this stupid idea? And look, let's face it, most creative solutions are stupid, but we don't need most creative solutions. What we're looking for is that one. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why you've got to create the right environment. And then you walk people through these four stages, which maybe we can walk through as we, um, as we talk today. On the, um, I'll just, ask a bit of question around the wicked problem. How does one know that there is a problem within an organization other than looking at bottom line or cultural problems? Where are they generally starting from to discover what, to go down the path of discovering what those problems really are? Because I, I find that quite intriguing as to what are the key things that people might see within their business structure organization that might frame that they've probably got a bigger problem than they imagine. Look, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you don't know what the problem is, but don't be too quick to say this is the problem. So you can say we, we have a problem, but part of the design thinking, creative problem solving, or what we call strategies for innovative development model, which is the one we've built, um, is, is in that first step, making sure you ask the right questions to get the right problem. So if we're, let, let's take brainstorming as the most typical tool that people know in this field, and it's terribly overused and and not utilized at the same time. But if you're brainstorming the wrong problem, it doesn't matter how good your answer is, it's not gonna work. So it's really important in this whole process, and, and this is probably the, the most overlooked of the whole four stages, is to what we call cultivate curiosity. So maybe this is a good chance to jump into that first phase, which is um, if I speak in design thinking terms, this is the inquiry phase, mm -hmm. uh, framing, defining, empathizing. And, we're, we, and we're, we're talking about the importance of cultivating curiosity. Now, if we connect this, and let's do it to the Paul Torrance CQ, Creative Quotient Testing, this is what he, Paul Torrance has seven attributes on creativity, and one of them is originality. And so this, this originality is the concept of asking the right questions to get the right answers. If we don't ask the right questions, we won't be tackling the right problem. 
So rather than come in and say, hey, we've got this problem, let's brainstorm it and come up with a solution, we need to go back one step and say, have we got the right problem? Are we asking the right questions? And to do that, that requires a dedicated step of actually trying to ask questions. And, and if we jump into some design thinking tools here, these are called empathy maps and customer journeys and, and that, and you know, those sort of things about who is our customer? What do they want? What are we really offering them? Can we do it? Should we do it? I mean, at this stage of cultivating curiosity, we really should be asking as many questions as possible. Um, and then once we've asked those questions, then, then it's a matter of trying to get those questions back into an area of, um, you know, finding what I call the killer question or the right question or the best question, for example. So I'm just, just pulling up a slide here just for my own reference in case I'm look, being rude looking off ca category camera. But really what you do with this stage is you take a statement. So it might want to be, we use the example of Procter & Gamble entering into China uh, when mm -hmm. China deregulated. So we love to have a case study that runs right through all seven stages. And Procter & Gamble were basically um, one of the first big companies to get into China. And so the first question was, we first statement is we want to enter the China market. Well, you need to then turn that into a question. How do we enter the China market? But then you want to come up with, and I, I get our teams in the workshops to come up with as many questions as they can for the next period of time. And typically the way you would word that is you'd say, how do we help X specific user solve Y specific problem in Z specific place? That's a nice way to do it. And, and to do that, it really helps you sort through everything and come up with the um, come up with the real with a real solution. So you know, look, we've over Uber has been totally overused in this in this area. But I want to show where Uber is an interesting concept. You see, if you went and wanted to improve the taxi service, and you went in with the question, "We want to improve taxis because they're not great," then you're only ever going to focus on improving taxis. But Travis. Uh, Clackenbeck stood back and said, I'm not going to ask the question of how do we improve taxis. He stood back and said, how do I get people from A to B better? So by asking that question, he was then able to come up with Uber. But if he just looked at asking how do we um, improve the taxi service, then he'd only be focused on maybe improving the taxi service. And he wouldn't have come up with that creative idea of something right out over here of saying, hang on, there's hundreds of cars on the street that are empty there's a lot of people wanting to get to work. How do we connect the two together? And that's what creative thinking is. It's, mm. it's taking something from here and taking something from here and putting it together to come up with something better. But you're not going to do that if you're staying inside the box of taxis. So I know we've heard, I've overheard the word think outside the box, um, but it really is about saying don't, don't be so narrow in your, in your opening of looking for a problem mm -hmm. that it pushes you down that direction. We've all heard the great um, TED talk of Ken Robinson of does school kill creativity? And therefore we assume that school kills creativity. And if that's the assumption we make, then we only ever look for school to where the solution is. But they've just done some recent research to find out that kids' creativity is actually more killed by the um, relationship they have with their parents. Interesting. So we know that kids lose their creativity at school, Mm -hmm. But that would be a dangerous assumption then to, to then go and look for at school because you'll never find the answer in school if we don't get the question right. So okay. it really is about framing the question and mm -hmm. getting the question really perfect before we take it into the next stage. How do you know? How's that for a interesting? Yeah, and then, but, you know, look, the other yeah. ones, are, that, that, that's my most important one because I think that's yeah. a really key one. Yeah. Um, but then I'd even go one step yeah. further with getting the question right. Then you've got to find an ambiguity within the question. So it's not just, um, we, we've, I'll give you some examples of some customers we've worked with. They said, mm -hmm. how do we engage 6,500 employees? How do we engage our team, a retail company? Okay. And I said, well, that's great, but what's the real question? And as we went through this whole opening session, which took half a day, mm -hmm. we then came up with, it had to have an ambiguity. How do we engage 6,500 employees with limited resources on minimum pay? because they couldn't afford more than minimum pay. Now we've got an ambiguity. Okay. Now we can really start to move that forward. Or how do we collaborate better? That's a, that's a really nice thing. We all want to collaborate better. How do we collaborate better? Look for the ambiguity when we're all incentivized by individual incentives. So this is the, uh, how do we learn? Uh, one, one, we, we help launch a car in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, now we've worked with Mercedes-Benz at the top end of the market, but I won't say which car, but we launched a car in Australia, helped launch a car in Australia. And we discovered through the process that it was ranked, I think, 36 out of 38. It's <laughs> a great car. <laughs> so we had to come to these guys and say, look, it's not just about launching a car in Australia. Mm. How do you launch an iconic brand that's dropped down to, you know, the bottom three? 
Mm. Um, and once we once we were able to do that, then we were able to move it into the more the, the, the more area that people probably know best about, and that's the brainstorming and the ideation. Okay. So I don't want to take up too much time on this opening phase of, of inquire, mm -hmm. but I think it's the most overlooked phase because we we just come up with our question, we start brainstorming it, and then before we know it, we think we've got an answer, but it's the wrong it's the wrong answer. So Andrew, how do you know you've got the right question? Well, you don't. Um, and that's why I think <laughs> Great answer. It's, it's nice and simple. Um, yes. Look, we, I you know, right is a funny word in, in this process, yes. isn't it? Uh, uh, I think you know when you've got the wrong question because, it, because you're going to not get the right answer at the, the very end thing. But I think, um, look, when we, do a, when we do one of these workshops, we really want to get people to understand how they work um, quickly. We want to have it access to everyone because some of the big design thinking courses are just too too big and technical for the average person. But look, if you, the, the proper process, let's say Procter & Gamble going into China, I mean, they spent three years just on that stage one where they got a couple of American-born Chinese to go wandering around China asking questions, looking at, um, you know, what, what it must be like to live in rural China back in the 80s on a dollar a day. I mean, you can't just transplant what you learnt from what works in America as a premium uh, company and take it across to a rural, a completely different environment. When I worked with APEC in um, in Asia, uh, some of the APEC people, and what APEC does is they they help Australians um, move into Asian countries and um, start up their companies in in other countries. And you know, off the record, when I ran this workshop with APEC, the guy said to me, "Look, you know, the greatest number of failures happen is when is when these Australian companies think they can just come across and transplant themselves in Vietnam or the Philippines or Indonesia, and then wonder why it doesn't work." Now, to me, that's a bit of a you know, common it's, sense. Yeah, it should be common sense. Culture, <laughs> uh, Culture is number one. Why it's not working. Mm. But mm. you know, I mean, we've we've seen um, you know we've, let, let's, we've seen Starbucks fail in Australia for the same reason. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't just transplant what works here across to here so asking the right questions is about is about trying to find out what's going to work and not going what's not going to work if i was using the procter and gamble example um they you know they they were all about uh, laundry so they thought you know if, if they'd made the assumption we're just going to sell laundry in china um it wouldn't have worked but as they went through the whole process they realized that laundry probably wasn't going to be the best product to lead with and they actually i won't go into the detail but they ended up with um, starting with shampoo um, and it's a really, it's a lovely story to watch how they went mm -hmm. through this whole process, but it took them three years to just go through this, um, mm. asking the right questions. In that time, I think a lot of other companies had gone in, started up and failed and come out. So to do it properly, you really need to take your time asking the right question and looking for that ambiguity. Because if you don't find the ambiguity, you're just going to be in with all your other competitors. It really is about asking, as I said, how do we get people to be collaborative in a competitive environment? How do we get people motivated when we're not able to give them what they want? Uh, how do we sell a car when it's, or how do we launch a car when it doesn't have great reviews? That yeah, it's makes... finding that ambiguity. But it, design thing is a messy stage. So you could take uh, what I was getting back to is some of these big companies that you spend a lot of money going to as consulting, they'll, they'll spend years with you because they might be working with four or five of those questions all at once, mm -hmm. and only one of them might end up coming through the whole process. So it's not, I, I like to just try and get someone to, you know, when I'm only got a limited time of a day or half a day or using the Miro board, I'll try and get them to say, just pick one question. Mm -hmm. But to do it properly, you probably would want to be running multiple questions in parallel. And the questions that you just mentioned there are a lot tougher to get an answer to, right? Um, when you got, and then you mentioned ambiguity and other times there, when that comes into the context, it does make things a lot more challenging. Um, and it might be, yeah, things that are, how do we solve X with limited resources becomes very more, much more difficult than it is. How do we solve X? Um, That's yeah. right. And, and so, we, I think the other thing is adults is we're not good at asking questions. It's, it's a sign of inferiority in some cultures. So I, I do think we need to be a little bit more encouraging of asking people the right questions okay. um, rather than and not just jumping over it. So we're a little bit mm -hmm. sometimes as adults, we're afraid to ask questions. Whereas if you think of kids, and that's one of the reasons that makes kids so creative is they're just brilliant at asking questions. They don't shy away from it at all. Well, there's no barrier there, right? That's right. It's <laughs> just inquisitive. Know. Yeah, it's, just, it's all that. It's just question after question after yes. question of kids. Yes. That's but the same adults, <laughs> we, we don't want to ask the right question yeah. because we might look yeah. like, I mean, in, in yeah. some cultures, particularly in Asian cultures, asking <laughs> questions is a sign of weakness or, mm. or, or in Asian cultures, asking questions might be a sign of disrespect for the teacher. 
Okay. Um, so we've really got to look at this concept, and that's why we're not going to spend equally on. So that, you know, I'm talking about four phases here. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to spend equally as long on the other phases, yeah. because because I think this one is probably the, one of the most important ones mm-hmm. to get that question right and to really try and understand what that question is and 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 or questions in plural mm-hmm. um, until we feel maybe back to your how do you know when you got the right one. I suppose when you're starting to feel comfortable, yeah, this is, mm. we've gone through this whole process. Yep, this is the mm-hmm. right, this, this is a good question. Maybe the right question is the wrong answer to ask, is the wrong question to ask me. Maybe how do you know when you feel you've got a good set of questions? Uh-huh. Yeah, that that's, um, gives me a bit more context, right? Mm. The And you mentioned a couple of blockers there, um, and that's more, could be culturally or even personally around asking questions. I'm imagining um, this is generally a group, a team that has gone through a process of understanding blockers before they jump into this. Obviously right. not well, necessarily. We, as I said, we've but, got a table. I don't yeah. know if you can throw it up later on. Mm-hmm. It's on the yeah. website. It's a table of the seven blockers, mm-hmm. seven CQ attributes from Paulie Torrance, mm-hmm. seven rescue strategies, seven rescue yes. attributes and seven rescue strategies, mm-hmm. of which we've just done questioning and asking questions, cultivate yes. curiosity and accepting mm-hmm. ambiguity. If you bring those across to the blockers, um, mm-hmm. to overcome control, which is the first blocker or killer, you need to ask lots of questions. To overcome fear, you need to look for the ambiguity. So so if we want to deal with a control issue, we need to stop this controlling feeling within a room. Let's go back to the company that where the interns came in and said, here's a great idea, and their CEO said that was stupid. Um, if, if they'd been in more of a inquiry mode and the CEO mm-hmm. was, I mean, everyone was inquiring and saying, what does our customer want? What are they looking for? Um, then, and then the control disappears. And if they, were, if they were happy to explore the ambiguities of maybe we don't have the tech to do this right now, but we could have it at a later stage, then the fear disappears and the fear of risk and the fear of failure and the fear of the unknown, which are the three subsets of fear, um, they tend to will disappear if we're starting to be comfortable and saying, let's look for the ambiguity. But one of the other issues adults have, and I love comparing adults to kids because we know that 98% of children uh, have divergent, brilliant, creative thinking and 2% of adults, which you would have heard in the last podcast. It's a brilliant stat, isn't it? (laughs) It's a a fact that we need to keep coming back to. Mm. Um, One of the things that is really important is sometimes as adults, we don't like to ask questions unless we know the answer. And we've all, I'm, I'm at my age, I'm still trying new sports. And it's, and I love that quote by the Emirates when they had the tagline, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Mm. We all used to be very good at trying new sports and doing things as kids. But trying a, a new sport at my age uh, is quite scary and feels a bit dangerous. And to go back to that feeling of total lack of control and don't know what's going on, I'm trying foil boarding on, on foils on surfboards, which are quite oh, wow. scary. <laughs> um, and that whole feeling of lack of control again that, that I mm-hmm. haven't experienced for 40 years mm-hmm. um, is freaking me out and making me think I don't want to do this. And I think the same thing happens when it comes to asking questions. A lot of adults are not prepared to ask questions unless they know the answers. And they're not prepared to, to look at the ambiguities because the, the, that stage is, I very clearly call it, accepting ambiguity. I'm not saying find the answer to it, mm. just accept it, just sit on it. And, and children, again, are very good at sitting on ambiguities and just letting it mull over. But as adults, oh gosh, an ambiguity is going to completely freak us out. We, we don't want to go down that road. And yet we have to go down that road to look for the ambiguity. But in this phase, I always say to the participants, we're not interested in any answers. All we're doing is exploring the questions and don't Mm -hmm. jump ahead because if you jump ahead to the next phase which is the you know ideation and brainstorming you've you've jumped ahead too fast so i really want to seal that one off and say have we asked the right questions have we got what i call a killer question or a core question or a great question Um, and then have we explored the ambiguity in that question Mm -hmm. once we've done that and we can seal that off then we can move into the next phase, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because I think we're all we're all pretty good on the next phase. Next phase is more saying exploring the ambiguities and asking the right questions. Do you see that that's tied with more towards people who are more curious, who have more curiosity, as opposed to people who don't? Absolutely, so sort of and, and, and ties yeah, to that to me. About being curious, it is yep. it is always about wanting to see what else is out there. What can we do? How can I? As I said, creativity at its core, and if we haven't defined it yet, is connecting to unrelated things together to bring them together where really a one plus one equals three. The the sum of this and the sum of this is equal, is better than it's together. The, mm-hmm. the end result is better than just putting the two together. And so 
that requires an incredible degree of curiosity. And again, we have to ask ourselves and why we wrote the book, Who Killed Creativity and How to Get It Back, was why were kids so naturally curious as we watched our kids grow up and why as adults, right when we need that level of curiosity, um, do we not have it? And look, we all know that AI, artificial intelligence, will automate many, many jobs. And it should cause us to think about how we're going to upskill ourselves. One of the things that will remain uh, one of the last bastions of AI is that ability to think creatively, to connect two totally unrelated things together to come up. And that's why many of the surveys, including the World Economic Forum, said that creative thinking is the number one, one, number one attribute you need in your job um, to make sure you've got a future-ready job. There's a lot of um, detail in that. One of the things that fascinates me is uh, as adults, we like to ask questions that we know the answers to. That's um, right. <laughs> I find <laughs> that quite... Adults, we know yeah, how to play the game, don't we? Extremely fascinating. Um, but when you reflect, I think it, it keeps people... Um, it's a comfort zone thing. It's a I'm right type thing. It can be driven from many different levels. Um, but I find that fascinating. Uh, and then the inquiry, I think... Um, I think it's a confidence thing too, because um, then that builds confidence that you are on the right page. But if there's gaps and you don't know answers to things, I think, yeah, it. I, th I understand how it can be daunting to ask those questions. Um, but I, on our journey, I think I've, I've realized that there, that's where the gold really is. Just asking questions, you don't know something, that's fine. I think people are willing to share and um, and answer those questions and then you might actually find some openings. Um, yeah, so I find that fascinating, but I think it's a personality. Well, even just, I mean, I talked about originality was the mm. CQ, the creative question skill needed for asking questions, but mm. what's the what, what skill have we mapped towards yeah. the accepting ambiguity? As I said, we're doing everything in sevens to keep it simple because yeah. we want people to remember it. But the skill there, um, uh, one of the other attributes that people need to be creative, so one of them is originality. The mm -hmm. other one is um, resistance to premature closure. And typically, again, as adults, we, we like to close things off. We feel comfortable when something's closed. Yes. And so this whole concept of accepting amb ambiguity is part of the CQ skill of resisting that closure and just letting it sit on it. Um, and, and one example I use here is the company Mattel, and a lot of companies are doing this now. Um, you know, are, are you, are, we, we tend to think of a customer journey as when, it, and I'm not saying ethically I agree with this, but when a kid buys a the, the Mattel racing car or whatever, the, the marketing team might say, aha, that's it, you know, we've, we've closed the sale, you know, we don't have to do anything else. And yet what we're seeing now, and again, ethically, there's a big issue about data, and, but, but keeping that customer journey alive and what else, what, what else um, can we do to, <laughs> to, to extend that customer journey just beyond the sale point and, and closing it and going, the marketing team saying, I've, I've, I've made my sale, I can go back and start marketing again, realising maybe that could be the beginning of the customer journey, mm. not the end of the customer journey. And so these companies that resist premature closure and can pick up on the ambiguity that maybe that's not the end of it are able to continue on, uh, you know, building a relationship with the customer. Inquisitive mind um, is one thing and probably people that are willing to make mistakes and just not really care about mistakes. Um, yes. I think it's... It all probably starts from. It's, I think there's. I understand the blockers in an organisation, but I think there's also personal blockers that will block people in this area, no matter what the organisation is and how it treats. Um, well, that's its right. People we talk about when yeah. we when we mm -hmm. when we do the book or, or the or the or the game. You know, you can and what you can look at it from three perspectives. You can look at it just purely from the blockers in our own head, and people can share yeah. about. You know, I I've had fear because who knows mm -hmm. my upbringing, my culture, mm -hmm. my family. I mean, there are so many cultural baggages that we bring and then it's nice if someone said well I don't have that fear they can share and say well why I don't have it so you can look at it from a individual perspective and, and pure mm -hmm. neuroscience of what's going on in your brain and, and the mm -hmm. your history or you can look at it from a team perspective because every team's got its own culture and dynamic and that mm -hmm. could be the leader and the, and the and the makeup of a team or you could look at it from a company organizational cultural perspective mm -hmm. or you can even look at it from a country perspective because some countries are much more um, encouraging innovation and creativity and others are much more left brain. This is the way we're going to do it. And I get that um, probably someone personally might be um, open and expressive and willing to ask questions, but an organization may shut them down too. That's right. And so if you they... need all three. Yeah, that's, that's so right. You need, I actually, yeah, right. I understand. If that. you've got an innovative yeah. uh, 
cultural mm-hmm. and yet someone's coming in there and they're closed, it won't work. It won't work. If, if you've got a really creative person, they're going into a, into a mm. closed culture. And that's why I'm saying if you're, if you're a CEO or a leader on this team, in, in, in this podcast, mm-hmm. you need to think about um, there's been some great research done by Richard Florida on what he calls the creative class. And he, he's looked at what makes the creative class and where are they attracted to live? Mm. Uh, what sort of lifestyle do they like? And okay. he goes into all the details about uh, how do you attract the most creative people to come into your organisation mm-hmm. and stay in your organisation. So we'll go back to our summer interns that told the CEO he, they had some great ideas. Mm. I can guarantee you they're not working for that company anymore. <laughs> they probably went to Apple and they probably yes. went to Google um, mm. because they were, they were welcome there. So mm-hmm. we do need to create an environment where the creative people feel comfortable. And I think that's an important area to talk about. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of content there. Um, you mentioned once we define a question, and I, I probably want to frame how do we structure getting to our questions and building ambiguity in this? What's some of the processes that you use just in step one? Because I'm seeing a lot of power in this. Um, is it workshopping, brainstorming, are you putting up sticky notes? What are some of the key practices that people might use? Um, well, we've we've got, again, we've now put it on a, we, we've had flip charts that really sequentially take you through it, but now it's on a Miro board available for people to just Perfect. try it themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's not a lot of content in the Miro board and all the stories I'm telling you now would typically be in the workshop, but hey, yes. be creative. Use yeah. this podcast <laughs> and grab the Miro board and go for it. You, yeah. you, you get a very, a very cost-effective session. Um, but but on the on the right hand side of the Miro board or, or around the back of the room, we'll then have more of the traditional um, design thinking tools around there, and we will connect each of those design thinking tools with one of those four stages in our strategies for innovative development sort of phase uh, stage outline. And in this stage, um, if people want to dive a little bit deeper, you could do. And I'm not going to go into detail what they are. Just Google them: empathy maps, mm-hmm. um, customer journeys persona technique, but it's really about human-centric design thinking. It's about putting the end user at the very centre of the of the process rather than putting the end user at the end. So all questions should come around um, what does the end user need, what does the end user want, and they, that, should, that should dictate your question and your solution rather than um, start with what you think you know. We know mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was famous for saying the customer doesn't know what they want, but Steve Jobs was unusual. Uh, I'm usually good, but, but I'm not. <laughs> yes. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't write that in stone. He, he just had an uncanny ability to know what a customer will need in the future. Mm-hmm. For the rest of us, I think we need to put the customer at the centre of the um, of the process. Yeah. And if you hear stories about them, they didn't really foster the best environment for creativity with the staff as well. True, <laughs> we won't go there. But yes, <laughs> he was a creative genius and yes. um, had a great. And, and build a company around that. And mm-hmm. it will be interesting to see what happens now uh, as we've gone from, and, and this could be another podcast from my wife's PhD research on those that love to explore and those that love to preserve because Steve Jobs was definitely a great explorer. Tim Cook's definitely more of a preserver and really good at tightening processes and incremental innovation where mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was about the big breakthrough in our creative yeah. ideas. And you have seen the shift as well. Everyone has in terms of what Apple of the past or the pro Steve Jobs to now, um, there is a bit of a shift there. And there's absolutely. Really, and, um, yeah. you know, the, 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 we're still in that episode. If we were, yes. if it was an innovation race, we're still yes. in that season. We're not sure where it, where it's, where yeah. it's going to end up. Yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Um, it's really about, yeah, just aligning everything and fostering the right environment mm. and your people. Really. And attracting the right people to the organisation too, because uh, sometimes the people at the top are not the creative brains and should not be driving <laughs> that direction of the business. Yeah, maybe like Tim Cook, the preserver, um, and then you need the creative people around them to yeah really drive new innovation. So there's a bit of context there. Um, in terms of we have a great question, we've gone through some brainstorming, we're starting to solve problems um, and maybe think about how we might answer these questions. What next? Um, going through those stages, design thinking, putting Look, the customers. So the first phase was what I, what we call the inquire stage, yeah. which was asking the right questions and finding an ambiguity. And the next stage, you, you're probably most familiar with it, it's the exploring stage. Yes. Um, and that's the, the latest buzzword is ideation, and that really is about you know, uh, um, well, well, our rescue strategy is unleashing your imagination. The tool is brainstorming or mind mapping, and it, there's so many out there. Um, but it really is about saying, okay, now that we've got that question defined, now we've got the ambiguity, now we know what to take forward so let's go back to Procter and Gamble it wasn't just how do we enter the China market it was how do we enter the China market when everyone lives on a dollar a day uh, how do we how yeah. do we sell a premium product 
in a market they can't afford. So mm. that became the um, that became the ambiguity. So then we'll take that forward, and we love doing this with, with our participants. Now you you are you are Procter Gamble in China. What are you going to what are you going to suggest? And that's when you start ideating and coming up with lots of ideas. But the attribute behind that is um, and and the and the CQ skill, the, the creative question, is the ability to, to elaborate and to unleash your imagination. And again, you can't just do that on a Friday night. We've, 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 you know, those that have unleashed their imagination, your creative brain is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. it it'll atrophy. So those that have been imaginative, and maybe this is where the more artistic person comes out that sees shapes in clouds, this is where you can unleash your imagination. And, and the really important thing here is all ideas, no idea is a bad idea, because one idea that might seem bad may lead to another idea that will be good. And so mm -hmm. the dangerous thing is here is you've got the left brain people shutting down the right brain people saying that's a silly idea. And I, I've had a, a boss walk into the room in the middle of the ideation, just freak out because he just looked around. And, and I must say 99 out of the hundred ideas were just stupid, mm -hmm. uh, but, but he missed the context of what we were trying to do there. And that was, we're just throwing everything out. Again, we're not looking for the right answer. So it's really important that you, that you seal these off and do them in stages rather than keep ideating saying, I'm looking for the right answer because one answer might lead to another, which might lead to another. And it only might be the fourth attempt of that mind map um, or that exploration that this becomes the right one. And so we, we, we take people through that. I won't, there's lots of tools on that. I won't go into too much detail. But then what I like to do is get, get to see, ask people if they used um, both sides of their brain, or, or in this day it's more politically correct to say all parts of our brain. But if I could be as, as simple as left and right, which is still, you know, pretty much taken as a, as a, as a bit of a given, you know, you, you could say your left brain is definitely the more analytical brain, the more process-driven brain, and the right brain is the more kinesthetic brain that, that just is a bit scattergun approach. Um, and so what we like to do is we like to get people to look at their ideation mind maps and see how many of those solutions are very technical things like like in Procter Gamble change the lab change the formula reduce the price uh, they, they're all left they're all left brain ideas mm -hmm. and so we get people to go through and divide it in, in between left and right brain and they look at their flip chart or they look at their Myra board and they go oh gosh we're 90% left brain because we're bankers which is fine <laughs> we're not saying that's wrong but you're probably missing out on a whole other uh, area of, of of opportunity if you're not then saying well have we looked at the emotional side maybe again using Procter and Gamble in China people want to feel good uh, even if they're not super rich uh, back in the 80s um, they still want to make their, they're still they're still proud of themselves I mean I know we might wear our Rolex watch and drive our fast car to show off how good we are in society but everyone wants to look good in society and so maybe we need to look at what the consumer wants and that opens up the whole kinesthetic side of it so in this phase, this exploring stage, it's about brainstorming and unleashing your imagination and then making sure you're accessing the whole, the whole part of your brain so you haven't missed 50% of the solutions. I've never heard that before. I think that's a very, I've heard it in other contexts, but it's a very holistic approach because, yes, there is... A we call that diversifying. Yeah, I think that's really um, yeah, quite a bit of value there, just for me specifically. Um, and I'm sure some of our listeners are listening in just to... Because we are attuned to one side generally um, as a person. We, we have a bias. If I threw a tennis ball at you right now, you, yes. you'd catch it in a particular hand. Correct. And yeah. every time you catch that ball in your hand, mm. the, the brain um, pathway is getting better and better at catching the ball in that hand. But every time you catch it in this hand, you're not catching it in this hand. So if I, so therefore this one's getting less and less. So if I, if I, if I keep throwing problems at you all your life and you keep catching them in the analytical left side of your brain, then, then that's the brain that's going to, that's the one that's going to be the, the strongest one for you. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but it may mean you're missing out on another whole side of, 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 looking at, of looking at something. And that's why, look, I know a lot of these big tech companies are getting into trouble for not being diverse because they're not doing the right thing. But let's be selfish. Diversity allows creative thinking. It's the diversity of having different people and different groups and different perspectives. And that's why in this stage, you do want to go back out and, and talk to people and make sure you've got a really good, diverse group of people doing the ideation because you don't want all left brain thinkers uh, <laughs> from one department doing the ideation. Yeah. It won't work. Yeah. You won't get what you're looking for. Yeah, I, um, so I agree wholeheartedly. I think um, there's a different level of thinking and yeah, sitting in a, in a tech business, we can have a lot of analytical people. So with, I'm just picturing back as we go through creative thinking, it's a lot of uh, solution and analytical 
um, answers that are coming in or just specific things. So the emotional side may not be considered. The, yeah, so I think that's, that's, that's a really good takeaway for some people that are listening in and how they're really um, engaging in their brainstorming. So I appreciate that insight. There's been plenty of this, Andrew. Is there anything you'd like to wrap up and share for people out there that are going through this Well, we've process? only talked about one side oh, of the model, which was yes. how you think. Oh, no. <laughs> we might need a part three, Andrew. <laughs> <That's though. right. laughs> well, but, 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 yeah, yeah, I mean, this, it, yes. it may be a good time yes. to start like a quickly yeah. wet your yeah. appetite on the other side. But the yes. creative thing is, is the mm-hmm. ideas we do when we generate ideas yes. but but uh-huh. if we left it there we'd be doing a disservice so we may need to come back because now yes. we've left out with yes. lots and lots of great ideas and, yes and here's another problem where, where things go uh-huh. wrong people say okay great let's pick one yeah but correct we now need to move into the critical thinking stage which is mm. making sure those ideas will actually work mm. and i don't know whether we want to go through that now but yeah. but that's all about solving them and this is where you hear the words of prototyping uh-huh. and applying and and actually saying okay these are great ideas but will they actually work and then really applying them, mm. the critical thinking skills of applying them and, and trying them out with customers to see what sounded really good in the workshop and sounded really good in, in the paper uh, will actually work. And, and and again, in that apply stage, we're constantly um, predicting what could go wrong. So now we are asking for the left brain thinkers to come into the process come and really <laughs> take over. You know, yeah. they've been, we've asked them to be quiet for the first half of the session. And now we're saying, we need. now yes. we've come up with these great ideas. We need you, first of all, to connect some of these ideas together. So that's mm-hmm. the taking something from here and here on, on that mind map and putting it together, mm-hmm. which is what we call reconstructing common concepts. And then finally, um, the ability to to test and apply it to see if it would work. So I don't know whether we want to just give that as a little prelude of, of all the things that can go wrong in that stage and come back for a part three. Uh, I think we might because there's plenty of content here and I'm really enjoying our conversations and the, and the little gold nuggets that you're dropping. So I think that's plenty of contact uh, for people just to sink their teeth into. And you mentioned the um, asking the right question or a good question uh, is a, a big piece of the puzzles. I think, um, yeah, that's let's leave it there, Andrew, and let's do a part three. I think there's plenty of content here if you're open for it. Open to it, let's dig more into that section as we go through it. So I really appreciate you coming on. Sounds great. Well, yeah. thank you. And I hope um, yes. if we leave people now, at yes. least they'll know how to be creative. Correct. Uh, maybe part three is, as I said, the book was called Hook Your Creativity, How yes. to Get It Back. Yes. And so now we need yeah. to get on that part three, and that's yeah. how do we make it work. But yeah. we'll, we'll leave people uh, with at least the creativity of a child, and then we want to come back. And, 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 and maybe the question I like to ask people at this stage is if children are so creative, why are they not CEOs of companies? <laughs> and, therefore we may now, and that's why we need to come back yes. and put in our critical thinking hat uh-huh. to see what we can actually make work. No, Andrew, as always, such a pleasure. And um, I'm sure Thank listeners you. are getting a lot out of you, the the content here and, and the book, The Myra Board, if anyone wants to dive more into this, yeah, recommend jumping on that. We'll share that out with the show notes. So thank you, Andrew. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be back for part three on the Dev Ready podcast. Thanks for joining us. Brilliant. Thank Thanks you. very much, guys.